All right, we're in Genesis 3 this morning. Genesis 3. And uh, at our church, at Open Door Baptist Church, we've been going through the book of Genesis uh, together. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage we're going to look at, uh, look at today. And what I'd like us to see is, of course, the um, consequences of the fall we all know about. We talked about a little this morning in the devotion when we looked at the catechism question. Uh, but now I'd like us to look at the promise that God made to Adam and Eve in the garden. This is sometimes called the proto-gospel. Uh, it's sometimes called the, uh, the uh, Adamic covenant, uh, the covenant that God made with Adam where he promised the gospel to him. Uh, but I'd just like us to see that right here uh, from Genesis chapter 3, we already see Christ being spoken about in the Scripture. And so if you have your Bibles in Genesis 3, let's just read verses 14 through the end together again. The Scripture says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Because the man is become, behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now let's go to our Lord in a word of prayer together. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the word that we've read. Lord, we thank you for the songs that we've already sung and that wonderful psalm, Lord. We thank you and we ask that you would continue to bless us this morning as we approach to your throne to worship you. Lord, we ask that this morning you'd open our minds to understand what your word says. Lord, that you would engraft it to our hearts. Lord, even the difficult parts of the word of God, we ask that you would give us a fresh understanding of them. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to profit by it in our daily lives. Lord, we again pray for those who couldn't make it to worship with us today, that you'd keep them safe and bring them back. Lord, we pray for every family here. Uh, we know that everyone has their needs. Uh, Lord, their uh, requests of you, and we pray that by Christ uh, you would give that to them for his sake. 
Lord, we just pray that um, even as we go from this place later, Lord, that you would help us to continue to worship you. Lord, that you would continue to help us to to serve you and to, uh, Lord, bring Christ into the context that we live in. And Lord, we just ask that all we say and do would be to your honor and your glory. We ask all this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen. So here we read about man being stripped of his blessing. We don't have time to go over all how man was cursed in the garden, but it's enough to just contrast what we read against the blessing that God had given man in the beginning. In the beginning, when God made man, he had intended him to be a king over the rest of creation. In Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. Uh, God had given man to be a king in creation, to have a dominion, a kingdom in the earth. And with this blessing, God had given man all of the good things of creation. They were his to enjoy. In Genesis 2, verse 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. So along with the authority over the rest of creation to to, uh, set up his kingdom in the creation, God gave man to eat of the good things of his garden. He blessed him. He blessed him in all his ways. All of the, the works of his hands would be fruitful so long as he obeyed the Lord. Also, immortality was given to him by the fruit of the tree of life so that his kingdom would have no end. So that man would live on the earth and and reign and be a king forever and ever under God. And all of this was on the condition that he would not eat of one tree in the garden. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. All just on on the condition of this simple commandment. This, This simple, do not eat of this tree. And all of the kingdoms of the world will be yours. Obey the Lord your God and you will reign forever and ever. Is what God had promised to man. And yet we know the story. We know what the catechism question said this morning. Man did sin and so he was stripped of all his blessing. In verse 17 of our passage it says, Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And in verse 19, Till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Man was made mortal. His kingdom was made to fail. I mean, just what it says. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. And sorrow shalt thou eat bread. The dust of the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat eat bread all the days of thy life. And finally, Adam himself would die. And God fulfilled this promise against Adam, this curse, by driving him out of the Garden of Eden, that blessed garden, the temple of the Lord on earth. In verse 24, So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. We might think it's a, a little overkill, 
for God to put his throne guardians at the, uh, at the, the, the edge of the Garden of Eden to keep the way of the tree of life. But that is his presence. Above all, God had promised to give man a kingdom. God had promised to give man all of these good things. But above all, He had promised that man could stay with Him. And yet here, God is driving man out from His presence. Throwing him out of the temple. And so man is cursed above, uh, above all sinners because he, uh, because he ate of that one tree. And so we see the, the wickedness of Adam and the calamity that it brought to him. But now, seeing that, seeing that contrast, we also see in our passage that God made promises to Adam. Adam was worthy of destruction. Adam was worthy of death. To never be admitted to God's presence again. And yet, God even in this circumstance makes promise to Adam. Out of His grace, His mercy, Adam didn't deserve this. God made promises. Promises for good towards Adam. And let's look at these promises together. First, God promises to give Adam a new man. Even though man would die, he had been thrown out of the garden, yet God promised to give him children. In verse 16 it says, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. This is a great grace of God. Even though it was given to the woman to have sorrow in bringing forth children, and in Adam's sorrow in providing for children, yet God promised children to them. He promised that the species would continue. That mankind would not end with Adam. In Genesis 4, verse 1, we see that God fulfilled this promise. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And later they had Seth also. Look at that common grace that God gave to Adam and Eve. That they had children. They had Cain and his brother Abel, and later the child of promise who was Seth. Though Adam, though Eve would die and, and, and go back to the dust as God had said, yet his children would take up the charge. His children would continue on, and it's continued on until this day. Mankind has not ceased from the earth, because God promised, Thou shalt bring forth children. And not only this, but the image of God was not taken away from man either. The image of God was those uh, uh, privileges that God gave to man. Uh, to be like Him in a certain way and to have responsibilities in the earth. And this wasn't taken away from man. In Genesis 9 verse 6, After the fall it says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. God gave this legislation against murder. And it says, In the image of God made he man. That's the basis for why we shouldn't murder. Is because God made us in the image of man and we in the image of God, and we still are the image of God. And so God promised a new man, new men, a new generation, 
that would be in the image of God. And further, God promised that a certain man would come into the world through them. God promised the Messiah to Adam and Eve in the garden. In verse 15 of our passage it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, or thy descendants and her descendants. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Gill, John Gill comments on this verse, and he says, The seed of the woman may be meant the Messiah. The word seed sometimes signifying a single person, and particularly Christ. When God promises the seed of the woman, singular, one descendant of the woman, He's promising Christ to us. In Galatians 3.16, He saith not, and to seeds or descendants as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. He promised a certain choice man would come into the world. God also promised that this man would be a conquering king in creation. Again, God had called man to be a king in the earth. In Genesis 1.28 it says, Replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Man was called to be a king to have dominion. And this also included the serpent in, in, uh, in chapter 3 here, who, who deceived Adam and Eve. Look in, in chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And in saying that, he brings in Satan himself into that dominion, into, into, into being among the beasts of the field in this, in this um, covenantal category here. And so God promised, uh, had, had, had intended for man to have dominion over the creation. And therefore God, through this one man, through this one descendant of Adam, would fulfill that promise to man. In verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. To the serpent, he he says this, he says, you will be an enemy of the descendants of Adam. And not just any descendant, but that descendant, the seed of the woman. and, And there would be enmity between his seed and her seed. And in the end, it shall bruise thy head. It shall bruise the head of Satan. And he shall only bruise the heel of Messiah. Christ is come to overthrow the serpent, to take his place. In Psalm 68, verse 18, it speaks of Christ. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive, or the captors captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. He has ascended on high. He has taken the the place which Satan once occupied for himself. And so again, we see that, that he is a conquering king, even conquering the oldest enemy of mankind. And moreover, this seed of the woman is God Himself. In Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. It says that God will bruise Satan under our feet. And that by Jesus Christ. By His grace. So who can overcome the captivity of a mighty man? The captivity of the devil except for God Himself? Who can overthrow a king except a greater king than Him? And so we see that God promises as the greater king and king of kings and lord of lords that he will overthrow Satan by himself. And this agrees well with the next promise that God makes to Adam and Eve. And God promises an atoning sacrifice for sin. In verse 21 it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. This gesture of a promise that God made to Adam and Eve shows us the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Now if you remember with me the story that we read earlier in Genesis 3 about how Adam and Eve tried to cover their shame after they sinned. Uh, how they tried to go and sew for themselves fig leaves together and make aprons. Uh, see how they tried to fix the problem themselves. When In verse 7 it says, "...the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons." Out of a sense of guilt and shame, mankind thought to cover up his sins by himself. Uh, this was a, a kind of um, a psychological transition that mankind went through when he felt the inward shame, the guilt of sin on him. Then he felt exposed to God, to, to God's justice. God who sees all and knows all. And so in an attempt to uh, ease himself of this shame and guilt, he sewed himself fig leaves. He tried to make himself clothing. And yet they couldn't do that. It doesn't work. You can cover yourself up outwardly as much as you want, and yet you are still guilty. Try telling the, the judge when you go in uh, into in, to trial, uh, when you've done something wrong and everyone knows that you've done something wrong, try telling him, well, you know, haven't I dressed up so nice coming into the, into the courtroom? It, it doesn't work like that. You're guilty. The objective fact is Adam and Eve were guilty. And so trying to sew themselves fig leaves together is just as useless as trying to uh, fix our problem by our effort. You might also go in before the judge and you might say, well, judge, I might be guilty, but look at all these other things that I've done. Look at all these goods that I've done for society. Surely you'll just let me off the hook because of that. And yet it still remains the fact that you're guilty before God, before the judge. And so they couldn't do it. They were guilty. In Psalm 109.29 it says, Let mine adversaries be clothed, with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They clothed themselves with shame. They covered themselves with the mantle of their own confusion. And yet here in our passage, God clothed them Himself. And so He spoke to them on this wise. What Adam and Eve were trying to do, fix their problem by themselves, by effort, to restore themselves to a presentable state before God. And yet, here's what God says to them when He makes them coats of skins to clothe them. In Isaiah 45, verse 21, Tell ye, and bring them near. 
Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. That's what God told to Adam and Eve. You can make yourself coats, uh, aprons of fig leaves all that you want. But it doesn't, it doesn't work. Uh, Eve can sow for Adam and Adam can sow for Eve. And yet, they're still sinners before God. And yet, who is the Savior? Who is the only Savior? God, who makes for them coats of skins to clothe them. God promised to clothe them with His own righteousness by doing this. Worked by His own hands and not theirs. In Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the, Lord my, in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh herself decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. He has clothed. He has given the robe of righteousness. And moreover, God also promised them by doing this, not just that they would be clothed with righteousness, counted righteous before God, but also that they would have the resurrection of the dead. When God gave them the coats of skins, He was promising them that the curse of death He had just proposed against them would not forever have its hold on them. In Ezekiel 37.5, some similar language is used. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. He clothed with skin in the garden here. And so He promised that breath would enter in. The sinews would come on. The flesh would come upon them. And He would cause them to live again. Now how did He promise to do all this? How did He promise to bring us into this happy state before Him? It was by what we mentioned earlier. The atoning sacrifice of Christ. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And again, he made coats of skins and clothed them. God did this through the sufferings of Christ. Just as the lamb that was slain in order to clothe Adam and Eve with its skin, and just as he promised that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, so Christ came to give His life a ransom for many. In John 19.17, He bearing His cross went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified Him and two other with Him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. It's interesting that the place Christ was crucified is called the place of the skull. Just as it says, He will bruise the head of the serpent and it shall bruise His heel. So Christ died on Calvary for us. He was bitten of the serpent and He gave His life a ransom for the people. Jesus in doing this took our punishment on Himself. 
As it says, in the day ye eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. So Christ died for the sins of man. In Galatians 3.13 it says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He redeemed us from the curse. How? By being made a curse for us. By being hung on the tree for us. By tasting of death for every man for us. And so He redeemed us. He saved us. And yet, of course, the death of Christ was only, as it were, a wound to the heel. Just as the passage says. In the end, He was raised again on the third day because God had promised a new king over creation. And God must raise Christ from the dead to be that new king in creation. In John 10.17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so Christ had authority as king to lay his life down and to take it back up again for the people. And so this morning, if there's an unbeliever here first, as long as you're trying to rid yourself of the guilt and shame of sin by yourself, apart from Christ, you are still under the curse of sin. You cannot fix sin by your own effort. You must have the effort of another. You must have the effort of Christ on your behalf. All that you do, all of your little works are as the individual fig leaves that Adam and Eve tried to sew together. That no matter what they did, always fell apart. No matter what, how long they, uh, they uh, tried, never quite covered them up. In Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the law, by effort we might say, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Again, uh, it's by trying that we realize we cannot succeed when we come before God and try to, uh, try to work our own salvation. But if you by faith entrust yourself to Christ, because remember, Christ was promised to Adam and Eve. He, he wasn't seen by Adam and Eve. He was promised to them. If you by faith entrust yourself to the promise of Christ, the promise that has been fulfilled for us in history, then you shall live. You shall be counted righteous with Christ's righteousness. His good deeds will be placed on your shoulders. All free. A gift from Him. Just as He takes your curse to the cross, He gives you His goodness so that you might be saved. Galatians 3.11 says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. I pray that you would live by faith, that you would trust in Jesus Christ personally and be saved. And now for us believers here this morning, We still live in this cursed world. We still have the lingering effects of sin on our bodies. 
In Romans 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But we also have this same promise that was given to Adam and Eve. The same promise that was spoken in symbols and was fulfilled in the real person of Jesus Christ. Christ will deliver us in His due time. And we only need be patient with Him. Romans 7.25 I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And therefore, let's be diligent believers. Look to Christ daily. Strive to live holy lives. We have been brought back into that spiritual Eden by Him. And we ought to attend to it as God has given us to do by Him. So then, it is, so then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. We ought to serve the law of God uh, in this new state we have in Christ. Um, it's a blessed thing. It's a wonderful thing. We've been relieved from uh, the obligations in order to our salvation. But that gives us freedom to serve Him under His grace. And we ought, not to, we ought not to look down on it. Christ gave His life for us. Christ loved us so much that He came into the world. And Christ loves us so much He continues in His session in heaven for us, reigning as King on our behalf. We would be a wicked people if we saw that and then turned in disobedience towards our Lord. And so I pray that we would, uh, we would look to Him in our daily lives. Christ has, from the beginning, been working for our salvation. And again, if there's an unbeliever here, I pray that you would trust in Jesus Christ. That's the main point of this sermon, is to give you hope. To, to, to point you to Jesus and uh, cause you to believe on Him in the Holy Ghost. Let's go to our Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the promises that you give us in Scripture. Lord, we thank You for the antiquity of it. Lord, that we can see even from the very first that You were already working towards our salvation. Lord, that it was not a day that passed since Adam and Eve fell into condemnation. Lord, that even in the same words that You spoke to them, which held the curse, that You also gave to them the blessed hope in Christ. Lord, we ask that You would help us to always see that. Lord, always trust in Him. Lord, by Him to enter back into the work that You've given to us. Lord, we pray again for those who could make to worship this morning. You would bring them back safely. Lord, we pray that if there are any lost in here, Lord, I just pray that You would show them Christ. Lord, show them that new man, that man that did what Adam could not do. And Lord, that it's all by faith in Him that we receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Lord, we pray that You would send the Holy Ghost into their heart and that You would liven them to these words. Lord, that You would cause it to sink deep down into their soul. Lord, bring forth gospel fruit. Lord, we pray that they would be made righteous in Christ as we have. Lord, we just pray that You would help us this week to know how we should serve You. And Lord, that You would bring us back to our proper place to worship again in due time. In Christ's name we pray it all. Amen. Amen. Amen.